Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Left of Greg podcast. I am Brian Marin, the host and creator of the show. As always, I will be joined by human behavior expert, Mr. Greg Williams, who the show is affectionately named after. Here on the Left of Greg show, our goal is to increase your advanced critical thinking ability through a better understanding of what we call human behavior, pattern recognition, and analysis. If you'd like to find out more about what that is, you can check out our website at arcadiacognorati.com or by following us on Facebook at HBPRA. Please help support the show by checking out our Patreon site where for just a few dollars you can have access to all kinds of episode extras, videos, and short tutorials that are updated weekly. Just click the link in the episode details that says support the show and we'll take you directly to that site. If you have any questions or would like us to cover a specific topic, please reach out to us at leftofgreg at gmail.com. On today's episode, Greg and I are joined by our good friend, Mike Syracuse. Mike is a scientist, pilot, entrepreneur, producer, and information theorist who has been serving our country both inside and outside the Department of Defense for several decades. What I really like about Mike is that he has an amazing ability to draw on his vast array of life experiences, which includes everything from being an enlisted sailor to working alongside some of the most brilliant minds that our country has ever produced. In fact, Mike was even part of the team that built the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency's TIA program. If you're not familiar with what that is, I've provided some links in the episode details, but basically it was the massive terrorist surveillance program built by the U.S. government following the attacks on 9-11. During the episode, we discuss a number of different topics that are all related to information theory, including how we describe information, how it's categorized, how to use it for predictive analysis, and most importantly, how to operationalize information into a training solution. Mike draws on a number of examples to illustrate his points, including fighting fires, hunting terrorists, and even the weaponization of 911 service. Greg and I really enjoyed this conversation, and we're thinking about doing a future mini-series with Mike where we take one specific topic and have a detailed discussion on that issue. If that's something that sounds interesting to you, then please reach out to us and let us know. We'd love to get your feedback. Don't forget to follow us on social media and feel free to reach out to us with any questions. All the links are in the episode details. Thanks for tuning in and we hope you enjoy the show. All right, so um, we'll go ahead and get started today. We have a special guest on the show, uh, our longtime friend uh, and scientist, information theorist, scientist, uh, aviator, uh, all kinds of things, Mr. Mike Syracuse. So, Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Gentlemen, thank you for having me. It's my privilege. So, we're going to kind of jump into a whole bunch of uh, different different topics, but I kind of wanted to give a quick little like background uh, on you. Um, I know everyone just kind of listened to a little intro for those listening to the audio version, but uh, one of the things kind of to introduce some of the topics we're going to talk about is specifically when we get into information theory and decision theory and all the stuff is you have a, a strong kind of military slash DOD background, both as first enlisted Navy, then you were a pilot uh, in the Navy, and then you did a whole bunch of work as well with um, DARPA and then what became right after 9-11, uh, which was TIA which eventually be called Terrorism Information Awareness. And you were actually one of the people involved in the project of building what has what became the the basically the largest mass surveillance program in the history of the world um, a, at the time, I guess. And so that's kind of you're a little bit uh, where you come from on all this. So um, as much as you can kind of give a little bit about 
maybe maybe about that background and how you got not necessarily how you got into that, but what that is, because for a lot of people and especially people listening who don't know about it would look into that and go, oh, my God, what is this? This is some secret magical thing. And it's a lot more kind of dry, sciencey really hard critical thinking than, than, than magic or anything else. Right. I'll let you kind of maybe kind of talk a little bit about that as a segue into what we're going to discuss. Yeah, it's a, that's a, that's an interesting segue. Um, <laughs> I think when, when I look at this, I, I, I consider myself right now and a lot of people were sitting on the shoulders of giants and, you know, the explanation of what happened, you know, after nine 11, you know, is very nuanced. Right. Very nuanced, but it, it has its history way back, you know, in the beginning of, of when we started to address information theory and information science and and the heroes, you know, George Boole in 1850, you know, Claude Shannon in 1947 with information theory, Vannevar Bush. And I think that gets to the primary point that I really want to make today. Vannevar Bush, you know, 1945 wrote an article that says, as we may think, which formed the foundation of really the, the modern analytic stage. And he was truly a second generation information scientist, Boole. Turing to a degree, you know, first generation, and then, you know, Bush and Shannon, and then, you know, really, but I mean, after that then started this kind of culmination after this horrific event of 9-11, it says, hey, how do we better detect these signals? You know, so much like in your guys' world, it, it became just at scale a signal to noise ratio problem. And, you know, the fundamental underlying truth, which kind of segues into what I've been kind of doing for the last three to four years is that you kind of have to know what you're hunting for. And the bottom line problem was, is that certain communities didn't really understand how to hunt things. And certain people with military backgrounds knew how to hunt things like submarines and other things. And we just kind of parlayed that into a set of methods that would serve us better post 9-11. So flash to today, you know, my, my move in 2014, 2015 was to say, hey, you know, if we can hunt submarines and if we can do these types of huntings, we can hunt these fires too, because they're going to get massive. And for the very simple reason that it's an easier problem to a certain degree is that they're not trying to hide on you. So my background has been, you know, air traffic control, aviation, and I ended up getting into analytics and I just naturally feel comfortable there. But I guess what I got to leave that, that whole segment is, is that when we look at decision-making today and, you know, the combination of decision-making information theory and learning theory, which have to come together to deliver these services, there's been a lateral expansion of the 2D web. This vertical expansion, extension now of the 3D web is the same problem that we face in the military. It's the same problem that a lot of police forces face. The strategic and the operational and the tactical are now compressed. So, so real, in our, real, and go ahead. real quick, Mike, yeah, no, because you, you, you brought up a bunch, bunch of, of great things that I want to hit real quick because you just talked about three topics. One, we talked about, you know, 9-11 and hunting terrorists, you as a, a pilot hunting submarines, and then you just mentioned hunting forest fires, right? So right. I think that's a good analogy, big picture of what you do, meaning what information theory is and what you and all these brilliant minds had to do after 9-11 was go, okay, we've got all of this information, all of this stuff out there. So how do we categorize it? How do we connect it? How do we use it? How do we operationalize it? What is it? So, so these are all questions. So just for everyone listening, um, folks like you and and Greg and I, we, we look at all of these problems as, as that at an information level and something you brought up as a signal to noise ratio. So can you give maybe some sort of like almost like a street definition of what you mean by a signal to noise ratio? Because 
that has a specific, you know, meaning to it, but, but it's also a great analogy for even just scrolling through your Facebook feed. Right. So if you could give like kind of a street definition of signal to noise ratio, I'll give it my best shot. Let me just correct <laughs> one thing that you said, some very brilliant minds and me at the end of it. <laughs> well, I categorize you, you know, as 20 years ago, mind. me at the end of a fire hose, but I guess my point before I go any further is that, you know, the stuff that was learned back then is so critical to today. It, it, it to me, it's because it, I believe we're in the age of systems engineering. So basically a signal to noise is the classic needle in a haystack and, and wherever we're working or whatever we're doing or whatever we're looking for, it's a signal in the digital age because let's face it, everything's zeros and ones or letters and numbers and everything's transactional. So what you, you want to do is, is try to find that needle in that haystack as quickly and as efficiently and as, as uh, authoritatively as you can. And what we kind of came to understand is if you're going to find a needle in a haystack, get rid of most of the hay and 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 tune like you guys do at the tactical level tune your sensors and in this world everything's a sensor because again we're at the operational layer here and a lot of people are playing instruments doing you know this type of of sensor or this type of surveillance and somewhere like a composer of a musical score it has to be orchestrated in real time because everyone has their own experience so that signal to noise ratio is basically finding it it, it comes down to clarifying the signal and then empowering the response of the people, whether it's a fire intelligence signal or whether it's a national intelligence signal or a business intelligence signal. I've come to understand that underneath that is a common dynamics and a, a common uh, method that can be used regardless of the domain. And, and, you know, we obviously right now focus on threat, but in, in keeping that to the, to the level where it has to go, it's really about strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats in concert with each other. Because all of those things kind of mesh together, not only in a project management type of perspective, but in a real type of perspective. So I guess in in that nutshell, it's just trying to find that thing that you're interested in, that bit of information, or more importantly, the aggregation of, you know, 15 different information services into one service that you can make sense of. And Brian, if you you think back uh, to the time, Probably in 2005 or 2006, I'd uh, spoken at uh, Hampton Roads a number of times and I uh, was meeting with some very smart people trying to get the, not me being smart, but I was meeting smart people trying to get the combat hunter stood up. And the idea uh, there was that uh, I kept getting told from the different services and the different leaders that every Marine was a collector and every soldier was a sensor. And it just wasn't true. And, and so the idea is that I, I listened to this guy across the room briefing, and he, he gave basically a, a synopsis of getting rid of the hay and the signal to noise ratio. And I go, oh, my God, this guy gets what we're trying to do. We're trying to establish context, and, and we're trying to put meaning to context, and he just does it in a different milieu. So if we can get, uh, and, and uh, by the way, my dear friend, Mike Syracuse was the guy speaking. And remember, Alan Turing was castrated, Mike. Uh, but the idea was that I was sitting there in the audience going, this guy gets it. And, and I'm proud, Brian, to say that uh, we've been friends uh, with Mike ever since. And uh, Brian, Mike, and I, folks that are listening and watching, uh, we were all uh, involved in the future immersive training environment, uh, joint capability training demonstration, also known as the Fight JCTD. And, 
on the shoulders of giants doesn't even it, folks if you've looked for Schrodinger, schrodinger's cat it's right on your screen there under mike <laughs> yeah mike's petting it yeah yeah so it's just uh it's just great to have you here and mike what i'm i'm interested in your views on context obviously and uh and getting the band back together absolutely yeah, so so that's I, I appreciate the kind of definition of signal to noise and what that means and looking for a sensor. And I think um, sometimes we forget that. And I'm trying to take it from just my perspective of my little street view that I have as a knuckle dragging marine of of constantly being bombarded by information. Right? Uh, I know you kind of del- you you use the term data and information a little bit differently, and I think there is some confusion on what data is and what information is. But but in general, we would say that everything we take in all day long is is little bits of information. Everything from literally my body t- just sensing the ambient tensure, temperature Absolutely. in the room to to something I'm reading to something I overheard someone say, and and what what a lot of times we don't have, and this is what kind of Greg and I provide really much at a very tactical and operational level, is that that gating mechanism for one, uh, a, a lexicon, how do we articulate this? How do we organize this? And then most importantly, so what? How do we operationalize that, right? And right. you do that at an even kind of, I would say, even a grander scale overall. So can, can you- well, if, ju- I, if I can, really, yeah, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. No, I mean, it, it gets back to, you know, when, it, when I talk to coders, they go, well, you know, you don't code. And I say, yeah, but we have a coding practice. We're just at the operational layer. There's a bunch of people playing instruments, say, in the COVID world. Now, okay, but are you all in tune? And is it making a score that is going to provide actionable information, insight, hopefully, after inquiry, to people that need it? And, and, and I think to get to your point, I mean, it, it becomes pretty clear to me that one of the big problems that we have, and that's why I think it's important to, to distinguish between data and information, is when we import data or we import a source, you know, as a human, we do it quite naturally because we associate. Well, that's not what we do with machines. And that's why the signal to noise ratio is really important because it gives us a provable method that has worked in ASW and throughout you know, all that type of stuff. And let's face it, there's a science that's required in information at the operational layer. So that coding method, that that methoding approach is more in line with what kind of jobs would do when he said, I didn't play an instrument, I played the orchestra. Well, it's the same thing, but we're not Steve Jobs. We're just a bunch of guys and gals that understand the operational world. And we want to make it more operationally efficient through what, what I'm now calling, you know, you know, information aggregation services. So it's not about, because we're stripping away the uh, bottom line is you import data. If you strip away all the the context, when it gets to the stage, say in the OODA loop where it's observe and orient, let's just say it's import data. And then what's the importance of that? And if there's layers upon layers of statistical engineering and, you know, indexing done on top of it, well, at the data level, we're losing something. I think it's become pretty clear that we've stripped the context out of a lot of our sources and we i believe we need a a method and a theory that can be provable to a science to say hey can we do this better not only at the tactical level where you guys live but you also live at the tactical operational buffer too but at the operational layer but incorporating incumbent the strategic layer because to me again that's the 3d internet now and and it's really personal you know right and and so so i don't uh, yeah mike this is really good stuff. And you said something, you know, 
you know, when he talks about, we talk about gathering information, whether that's on a machine or a human, you said humans associate kind of machines don't. Right. And that kind of leads to context, right? Meaning we, 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 as a human, I have the ability to take in a piece of information and apply some sort of context. It's not a zero or one for me. It's, it's a little bit more descriptive. Like, well, you almost ingest it in context, right? Right. 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 You know, you're I, importing it in context, which is brilliant, right? Because there's no stripping of the experience. If our mind is clear enough to. And, and I, right. And, and that's kind of the difference between you said, that's what a human can do. A machine can't really do that yet. So I know when we all get obsessed with the future of AI and all this and everything, and I love always, we, you and I have had some great conversations over the years, whatever, you know, cause I always call you and go, Hey, what about this? And then you're the guy who goes, yeah, yeah, but not really. You know what I mean? You're the one who goes, yeah, that's not quite, but yeah, I know what Elon Musk is saying, but mm, we're nowhere near that yet. But, but I think that's an important, well, there's an AI hard problem. Right, you know, it's the Turing test, and it's and it's tough. It's hard, and it and again back to what we talked about earlier. Yeah, we can focus on threats, and that's important. But when we're building this, you know, machine that can be like a human strengths, weaknesses, opportunity, threats, always in balance, always kind of responding to each other. But we got to start somewhere. Well, that that apply, and then yeah, you're 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 right, and and that is what when you said, hey, you know, a lot of this information we take take in gets stripped of its context because of mm -hmm. that. When I put everything down to a zero or a one or a very roadmap or when this happens, I do this. Well, that lacks context, and the subtlety and the nuance of everything that we deal with, especially information, is it needs context. So, so I know we always talk about it at different, you know, at, at a basic level, we've done a whole podcast on context, just meaning how you observe something or where you observe something. The context is, is what gives that information relevance. So when we strip too much of that away, that information can become less relevant, right? Well, well I, I think a, possibly a better word is experience. Okay. Because what we're trying to do say in the, in the, you know, because when I when I looked at you guys' website at the bottom, right, and I, and I, I saw about, you know, we, we talked about the environment, and then when we talked about, you know, electronic communication, and then through that to human contact, and then delivering these capabilities, and that's what the issue is. I don't want to get too <laughs> weird out here, but at quantum physics level, it says, hey, things can exist in two places at the same time at the quantum level. Well, we go into the real world and say, well, that's not true. Not really, but it really is. Information is that thing that can exist in two places at the same time. If, you know, if you have real time, full awareness of something, it's almost like you're there, but with that comes the host of problems that we're talking about because of that direct human contact is not there anymore. You're relying on an abstraction and an aggregation of those abstractions to inform you about what's important. And it may be really important, especially because the internet's about one thing, right? It's about the depth of distance. Well, that distance may be four blocks if you're in a wildfire situation and you get the right information at the right time. It, yeah. it could be 40 seconds if you're trying to predict a grand mal seizure on someone's arm. You know, it could be instantaneous, real time if you're a Marine on the ground seeing something in real time and you've got a half a second. But again, underneath that is human analytics. And that point about association is that our machines, I mean, it's always been the hope. I mean, back to Vannevar Bush, Vannevar Bush wrote in 1945, the day that we can kind of, and I'm paraphrasing, that we can master our indexing in an associative manner, the way that the human mind does, then we'll be there. 
So it really gets to that point you made earlier about AI. Are we really after artificial intelligence yet? Or are we just still after augmenting human intelligence? Well, that, that you know, that <clears throat> that's, uh, uh, but I'm always like, hey, before we start coming up with new problems, why don't we solve the ones we have right, <laughs> right now? Define them and first, too. Right? Define, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. by your guys' work. You guys get in there and you say, here's the hard problem. Now, why does it matter? What's our time frame and how are we going to fix it? Where are we going to do it? Who are we going to do it with? What's our intent for doing it? And that same, you know, passion and approach needs to happen at the operational layer. We, we, and we know this in the military. We know how to do the operational layer of wars. Why, you know, we right. have JPACs and everything else. But hence to the civilian world and services that possibly will serve all of us, back to Banner for Bush, it's time to transition not only MRAPs and, you know, everything else to police forces, but it's time to deliver say, tried and true methods of detection to the nation, to states, so we can start to get our arms around in the case of, of, of these massive firestorms. You know, it's the same thing. We've got to take what we know, our art and science, and apply it. So I guess that's kind of what drives me as an entrepreneur and still drives me, you know, living in the state and in this country that, you know, we, we've got a lot of big, hard problems, but they're not unsolvable. You know, we're going to have to right. adapt climate change, unbelievably so. You know, if I could take a second, it may incorporate certain things that we may not be comfortable with in wildfires, such as, hey, General Atomics can build us a, sorry to use a specific name, but if a big manufacturer can build us a drone to do certain things, then we can build another drone at $50 an hour that can carry wingtip foam and weaponized, uh, weaponized foam and, and water that can get these fires at half an acre. And of course, it's all very similar. We have to prioritize and do everything else. The context. <laughs> Greg, did you want to? Yeah, yeah so, go ahead. so right now, just for everybody that's watching and listening, uh, welcome to our world every day when we're dealing with a brain as big as Mike Syracuse. Yeah. So everybody I want you to, that's in the audience, I want you to imagine leaning uh, uh, back or laying uh, uh, flat and looking up at the sky uh, at night on a beautiful starry night with no other light. Uh, what you're seeing is is what Mike is talking about. And he's also saying as nebulous as that is, it's solvable. And what I would like to do now is I would oh. like to change the focus to a, a straw and be looking just at a straw at one star and give you an example of something like police work. Because we have somebody, the we, has decided that the threat and at bang are the nexus of where the problem exists, and we're only going to look at the threat, then a term like de-escalation and psychological de-escalation loses all of its relevance and meaning. The context of the argument is that we keep, keep conflating the actual problem. We haven't defined the problem fully, and therefore what's happening is we're spread-loading uh, uh, our energy, uh, whether that's you know, mental or physical or money, you know, fiduciary and monetary, and what's happening is we're not solving any problems. And, and so as an information scientist and a decision theorist, people wonder why we talk about decision theory, Brian. And the simple answer is this. If we empower those personnel that are closest, and I'm talking tactical, Mike, if we empower those personnel that are closest to understand what signals we're looking for in their environment and which of those signals likely lead to these uh, uh, outcomes, then we can use in the police work context, a psychological de-escalation approach that'll work, that'll improve training, that'll uh, impact the bottom line and address the situation that's going on in the United States right now. But that self-same assessment and data analytics would work for COVID. 
would work for future problems, would work for uh, a Zompok or an invasion. So for anybody that's listening, that's thinking, hey, I, I don't think I think at that high a level. Now, what, what Mike is doing is Mike is looking at a map on the risk board and deciding where to put his troops. That's all he's doing. Uh, Mike, is that a fair assessment? I know I, I kind of brought it down, but is that a fair assessment of what you're saying? No, that is, that is a fair assessment. You know, because even when we look at any of the issues that we have, what is the hard problem and why are we trying to solve it? Yeah. So we say that we have this problem in the police force, you know, but it's not simple as that. <laughs> you know, every no. day there's tens of thousands. I grew up with a cop's family. I'm a cop's kid. And, you know, a lot of good people get good things done. And there's some others that don't and transparency. So what, what's key, I guess, is that, you know, everybody at the tactical level likes top cover. And, that, and that's yep. really what we're talking about. What's that yeah. operational that's layer so, of information great. that I can count on? Because right now I'm getting bombarded with stuff. You know, and, and you say it as a, you know, as an infantry guy, it's, yeah, it's nice to know that you've got that top cover. And I think it's the same thing in that, you know, if, if, because let's face it, in, in, in human nature, if, if you're kind to somebody, you know, I guess it was Madison used to say to be kind to everybody you meet, but have a plan to kill them. Uh, but it's tough to be kind because people perceive that as a weakness. And, yeah. you know, so again, it's that constant, we're asking a lot of people on the tactical level, at the tactical level, whether it's yeah. or cops on the street, because they're being, you, you bring up a, a bunch of good points and Greg, I, I appreciate you kind of narrowing that straw a little bit for us because, um, you know, that's what we mean. And Greg alluded to it when we say, Hey, we got to stop thinking at bang. And then everyone goes, well, yeah, no, now we're here. It's like, no, no, no. I get that you're a few minutes before that, but you're still looking at the problem at when it presents itself as we're meaning we're not clearly defining the problem sometimes. Can I, right? can I add one thing? And just because I'm a little bit yeah, passionate go, about it because yeah, it's go ahead, related to please. fires and everything else. Yeah. I'm, and I did jury duty too, and it became an issue. The, the weaponization, if you will, if you can allow me that statement of 911 calls by the person making the call is a dangerous situation from an information theorist scientist perspective. Because you have all of the problem, the context is stripped away or is defined by the person calling because the person who may be on the other end of that may be the innocent one. And we, and then it gets subtracted away to a police officer. Now that I know there's a lot of, you know, but that, that, that cycle right there, I think it was Patriot. It's a great show. And it said that the, the straightest way to get from point A to point B is a circle. And it's so true in what we're talking about in analytics, you know, and, you know, yeah, it's easy to be black and white and say, I'm either going to do this or that. And for a lot of years at the infantry level, that was okay. Not that it was okay because we didn't have the top cover information. A lot, like a sailor going out to sea, you know, and having his own ship. Hey, that's what you had. You know, you, you got some orders, you got commander's intent, go fill it out. Yep. Yeah. But, but Mike, you, uh, and I apologize, Brian, but Mike, you no, just hit on something that was like a core argument in fight JCTD. And I go back to the every marine collector and every soldier, a censor. We cannot uh, uh, say that this, this young person that's about to be deployed to combat or this officer that's newly minted from the Academy can go out there and have all of the metadata and all of the analytical background and all of the uh, uh, tacit and experiential knowledge that they need to operate on the road. It's, it's absolutely impossible. And then going further to say that, that a computer uh, will be able to, to do that. You know, what we have to do is we have to- Not on metadata. The, it won't. Yeah, no, no, it's not gonna. <laughs> we have to reorient where 
uh, uh, that data is fed, where it's taken, and what the intent of the information is. If you don't do that, if we continue to look backwards, if we continue to use the lenses of our ancestors, we're going to miss the point completely. And, And the idea is that we have to adapt and overcome using all of their genius uh, uh, injects that we've forgotten that we got to blow the dust off of all the, the, the stuff that's in there and actually utilize it to, to meet our goal. I, yeah. And we're not there. We're not there yet. Yeah. I, I, I want to roll back on something because I think it's important when we talk about, you know, at all layers, right? Like there are decision makers at all layers, you know, so mm-hmm. they're all kind of tactical in their own regard. They just have mm-hmm. different time and space issues to concern themselves with because there's a real human at the strategic level sitting there making a decision they may be on a five-year timeline, but they fully understand that there's a five-minute timeline too that makes up right. that timeline. So, what I want to kind of get is that and I'll throw you know that fractal nature, that self-repeating yep. nature that humans are humans making decisions. Mm-hmm. So, as part of that, as we talked about the signal to noise, it's really, really important to recognize that it isn't an either-or. You know, when you, when you're hunting a submarine, it's a you know when you get in the lips that's in the middle of the ocean, it's a it's a possible submarine you know, with some certainty that 15 hours ago within these, you know, hundred so miles, there's an 82% probability there was a sub. And then you take an asset like the P3, the mighty P3 Orion, you fly it out there, you drop some buoys in the water and you try to take that, that possible signal and turn it into a probable signal because you're building this heuristic, you know, it's not either or just like when you're you're an infantry guy, you know, it's possible, it's probable. And then at some point, it becomes certain. So I think it's really, really important at the tactical, the operational, and the strategic level to understand as the humans, we kind of go in the machines, we have to go through that process, possible, probable, certain. Now, when you're hunting things that don't want to be found, there really is no certain. I mean, it, it's kind of right. like the, the the movie where they were hunting the, you know, with the pods in the water, you know, there, there is no certain because they haven't done anything yet. That was the problem we had prior, prior to 9-11. But we do have a pattern in the history and things that we can fall back on what you guys do naturally at the tactical level to, to inviting people that we have history and we understand patterns. And really, that's the key of it. And, you know, if you want to if, if you want to make an inference or you know, find a causality in a pattern, you have to make sure that you go through a rigor of possible, probable, certain as best as I can be that, that I believe this. Well, and, and the great thing, we, we only have to achieve the level of likely. Reasonable suspicion, right. probable cause only assumes likelihood, Brian, and artifacts and evidence to support a reasonable conclusion. That's the beauty of this. Well, no, no too. And, and that, that, it, that also is what makes these hard problems. And you, you both kind of alluded to it before, and Mike even said it you know, earlier, like we're, we're putting you know, specifically for like a law enforcement example and what's going on in our country, I don't think sometimes people realize, not even police officers themselves, not even administrators, not even anyone protesting or, or either for them or against them or wherever you stand, I don't think they've clearly defined the problem where they realize how complicated these situations can be. Now, I say complicated because we have answers. We have solutions. It's not we, it's solvable. It's not some weird, complex, nebulous uh, thing. But but it is a lot. And, and so like you, you brought it up because, you know, that went into, you know, the, um, uh, the strategic corporal concept and the four block war and all that stuff is that a 19 year old kid, because that's what you are at 19. I don't care if you're the military or not. Right. 18, 19 year old kid can make a decision at a very tactical level that will have massive, massive strategic influence. That's no different than a police officer at a tactical level makes a decision that has overwhelming strategic 
um, consequences. So you're, you're, and then, you know, and it's no different than from a, the other end of it, from a <clears throat> from a threat perspective, that someone yes. may weaponize a COVID one person and introduce it in such a way or start a fire like that in Big Sur. You know, it's yep. it's the butterfly effect, right? I mean, it's the but. It's not, I guess, the classic butterfly. It's not that the butterfly is going to create a tornado. The butterfly is going to create something directly related to it. You know, and yes. the question becomes, can we, in my mind, the question becomes, can we um, provide the same level of time and space command and control, you know, for the for these other problems, much like we do in the military without being onerous and, and overbearing, but letting that 19 year old kid again, or that 25 year old hop on the street or firefighter, whatever the case may be that they have top cover and that, that, that information that they're getting is as pure as it can be. And I know pure is a tough word, but that's why the signal noise ratio thing is so important. Well, that, that, it's time to put math against this problem of context. And and, I, and that's what you mean. It, tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what you mean by a signal, right? A signal can be a number of things, but your signal, it, the information you get from a signal is only as good as your signal, right? So now you get into false well, positives, false negatives, meaning if, absolutely. If, if I if I think I have a good signal, like you always give, which I love is because uh, it's a very simple example of artificial intelligence that everyone understands is the smoke detector in your house. It's got yeah. a very, very simple job. It detects smoke. When it detects smoke, it beeps really loudly. Uh, when its battery gets low, it does that annoying beep where you can't tell which one it is in the house, right? So we've and all- it's standalone. It doesn't really even need, it can have a battery or backup power. Yep. And, and, and so, so that's it's a classic sensor to shooter. That's what made the P3 such a mighty airplane and other great air. If you can sense something, both yes. the, be informed of the strategic kind of run the operational and then be there at the tactical. And, and it's, so, yeah. And I just want to use that as a very simple sensor that everyone Absolutely. gets. Okay. Hey, that's a very simple, it's very effective. Right. And, and, you know, obviously you're concerned about a false negative with that one, right. Where it, it doesn't go off. And, or false and positives. Sure. False I mean, positives. it's always about false positive, false negative. You have a false positive, somebody jumps out of bed and they break their leg. It's like, yes, well, it, it, exactly. So, you, so you're guarding against that. I just think that's a, that's a good example. And we often don't, you know, and what you talk about, and you give the analogy because it's perfect from your anti-submarine warfare, you know, background and, and what you talk about flying a plane and then you're going to drop buoys, which is a sensor. So you're dropping this instead of smoke detector, the sub detector right in, in the water. But but even if we have the best sensor and hey, this is really great and it's very simple and it works very well and it's extremely accurate. It has a fault, low level of false positive and false negatives. Well, I could have the greatest sensor in the world, but if I don't put it in the right spot, if I don't use it correctly, if I don't implement it, right. well, then then I get nothing. And you it. also, but again, we go back to the, the composer and 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 the um, <clears throat> the conductor of an orchestra. You've got multiple sensors too, right? Like, and and this is very relevant if anybody's interested in the autonomous vehicle world or even the the, the UAS UAM AAM world. And even at the tactical level, right? Like it's important to know that if you're going to be using these systems, what the logic is that's providing the information that you're going to be taking actions on. So it is relevant to everybody that's going to be playing with these toys and involve themselves in this in this kind of world. Um, but again, that 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 concept of aggregating sensors is is everything because when you're hunting a sub. It's not just a buoy; it's a camera, it's a set of eyes. Right. It's Doppler. Doppler never lies. And and the only thing that I know of, and, and it's 
you know, because every time I talk about the AI at the executive level, I say if, there, if there's a hurt factor involved, then it requires full transparency. And a hurt factor can be an algorithm or set of whatever they call them that do what they do to decide if someone has bail or not. Well, that needs to be fully transparent. So it's not the sausage factory and you can just do some statistical engineering and throw something out the other end. No, people need to see that because people's livelihood and their lives are on the line. And that becomes obviously much more important when we start talking about weapons release authority, which in and of itself is not complicated. It's complex because one simple loss of, of contextual situational awareness and you could make a decision, especially if you're hunting something, you know, in, in time, because the reality is these signals, all of them, if you close your eyes and close your ears, you may think they're not moving, but they are. I mean, that's the big, you know what I mean? That's the big challenge, whether it's at the tactical level, the operational level, you know, whatever your time frame is, you know, it used to be an old saying in ASW, just because you don't hear them doesn't mean they're not doesn't moving. mean they're not there. Yeah, yeah. got it. Yeah. Well, let's tie that into the gift of time and distance. And, and let's go back to our straw for just a second, Brian. So you guys both brought up some incredible points about the smoke detector. So smoke detectors work. Some are hardwired. Some should be battery operated. You should change them every year on a, a specific date. Now we augment, huge important word, we augment that by having the local fire department send a person through. And that person comes through and conducts an audit, uh, a vulnerability assessment of our facility and says, don't block that door open. That's a fire door. That'll create a vent. Uh, we go downstairs and say, look, all these boxes, all these old newspapers, we have to move them away from the, the water heater because that's a, a, a fire source. What we do is we identify the problem and then we try to move as far left mm-hmm. of the problem as possible and yep. augment the technology with virtual reality, with augmented reality, with with human sensors that receive training. So, so people sometimes ask, why do we push training so much? Because without training, you won't know. If you have a fire extinguisher, a fire, a fire extinguisher is at bang. If you have a smoke detector, a smoke detector is at bang. Those things are wonderful, but it's like the police officer relying on the, the weapon or the less than lethal force. We've already crossed the threshold of use. Mike, you're asymmetric submarine warfare and you and your anti-submarine warfare uh, uh, was was designed to give an advantage, a uh, technical and tactical advantage of time and distance so you wouldn't get smoke checked, but so they couldn't launch missiles, let's say, against the coast. All of those things presuppose that here's bang, and there's all of this time and distance over here to the left of bang where we could make a big difference. Isn't that a fair assessment? Oh, it, it's... Totally fair. And it really gets to like my, my bigger passion, which is, you know, I, I, I like to look past theology, philosophy and science and say, where do they all agree? You mm-hmm, know, and, right. and my only, the only conclusion that I've come to is the best place to find that answer is in music. <laughs> you know, it's like Zappa said, all that other stuff, but music's the best because there's something that happens at a vibrational level. But what you, you said was, you know, was, was spot on. Whether that left of the bang is a business intelligence signal that's going to hurt your company or whether it's a fire signal that's going to hurt your community or something that's going to hurt your body, again, that, that, that constant balancing of strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats at all three layers, you know, teams yep. working there to figure out the physical things and then understanding that the physical things are this. Then at the operational layer, we augment those physical deficiencies with actionable information based on the patterns and the things that we know are going to happen, and that's why I go back to the, you know, going past theology philosophy, because it's like a story. What we're creating here, whether whether you're creating a three-minute, 30-second song or a movie or a digital service, we're creating an experience. 
And that word right there is the most important word that I can think of that ties together. You know, when you're looking at that straw and saying, okay, but I want to look at the whole sky. What's the, what are the things I should think about experience? And, and cause that's what we tried to recreate for people to say, Hey, you're here and the internet's about the death of distance. And I want to make you informed about something here because I need you to do something here that'll preclude something from affecting you over here. Well, there needs to be a, a, a composing and an orchestration or a composing and a conducting and an orchestration beforehand of those events in such a way that we understand them before we code to them. Brian always talks about that, Mike. Brian Brian always <clears> had that <throat> moment where he looks and he, he, he grabs his chin and he goes, hmm, I see what you've done here. And, and we all laugh at the Mike Myers because I, I think, Brian, I, I think Mike's analogy in music is spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, because the, the variety of music, have you ever listened, like you're listening to Tchaikovsky, for example, and somebody's going, Chai who? And, and then all of a sudden you hear Levon Helm uh, and the band. And, and then you're changing the channel. See, I can't do that. I can't remember the, the thing, but it's like Paragon. It starts with a P, where all of the music and a theme come up. It's a program. Pa- Pandora. Pandora. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Pandora, I'm sorry. Uh, because I don't listen to social media. Right. You, you want different varieties. Yeah, yeah. I don't like the different varieties. Have you heard about this they, company called Apple? Have you heard about <laughs> no, that? No. No, no, but I hear they're I hear they're doing great more than what you just see. But 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 you get you get my meaning that certain music appeals to certain parts of our brain, and and that uh, stimulation, that external stimulus, that 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 uh, uh, you know. Can I I get a little bit more specific on that? Yeah, and I don't understand it completely, but what I do understand is that you know the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain, and then music kind of meets in the middle, and I, I don't know the official names and all that, but. You know, and I want to roll back on something because I think it's important. When we, we when we listen to music, we bring it's an experience. Whether you're you're sitting on a couch or whether you're you know you're sitting at Big Sur, it's an experience that you live through for those three and a half minutes if you're engaged. But rolling back to the fight JCTD and what's important, say to street cops, whether and let's just say like there's some work that we want to do with the Naval Postgraduate School focused on on on. on on how do we make ethical use of unmanned systems for our police forces? You know, we've got a hard problem. And let's just say as a whimsical thing that a lot of people believe the hard problem is we don't want warriors, we want guardians. Okay, whether we buy into that or not, but there is a movement towards de-escalation and all the stuff that you do. Um, I'm sorry, I just lost my track. Yeah, at Naval Postgraduate School, uh, um, you said something. Well, about no, but it goes back to the fight, JCTD. That's yeah. right. What we're trying to re- what we're trying to create is an experience that gives them an inoculation. One of the things that we recognized early on in the fight that we were doing an inoculation of sorts. A stress all. inoculation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All training, you know, is kind of an it's inoculation. inoculation. And yeah. what I, I find still surprising, you know, even after five years and then you know being distanced from it, there's still a problem in the DoD and the fact that. Hey, there's only one reason we educate and train. That's because somebody is putting a uniform on and putting their shit on the line. Let's never lose focus of that. And then my focus now, and I know your guys is, is to say, okay, how most efficiently, and again, like in this global consciousness that we talk about the internet being one synapse for this group of people, how do we do that as authoritatively as possible? Right. And as authentically as possible to give them the experience that they need to make the proper decision. No, no, and and I, I Brian, I, here's another lexicon argument: the authenticated uh, authentication and 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 uh, the the level of experience 
and having an aggregate, but a pure signal, that's all important because what's happening is there's some people that are listening and watching and going, oh, I, I think he means that the user experience should be good. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is that we've got to try to get the most pure information possible at the beginning to have the outcome be something that's very close to what we're trying to, to accomplish and defining that that uh, problem is as important as defining that goal. So that's a yeah, great, great absolutely. statement. It, it, like when, when you're, when you're doing a, a, uh, an ATO, an air tasking order, right? There's a bunch yeah. of people sitting in a room making a whole bunch of decisions, but every one of them that, you know, has the value of knowing what they're doing there understands that there's a kid turning the wrench, you know, and, yeah. and you have to concern yourself with that. And that gets into the whole thing about supply chain management not post COVID, but it's all pretty much the same physics at work. I guess that's my main point, the physics at work. So, so, so go back to your orchestration and I think of the mm -hmm. band as well. Brian, I think one of the points that, that you and I see only because we, Mike, we get flooded sometimes when people send us articles about what's happening right now in, in the state of police work. And I would turn that around and say, listen, this has always been happening. You yeah. now just opened You're, your aperture you just, to take a look at it. it. Yeah. And, and, and you want to make an uninformed decision based on on whatever criterion uh, uh, that you've decided and you're not looking at the context and you're not weighing each individual uh, situation isn't that the same problem you're talking about mike yeah i mean it gets to i mean i don't like to say it's a pet peeve but it's a general problem that seems readily apparent is that when we as humans tend to learn something new it's brand new to us. It's the Charles Manson quote. It's the Charles Manson quote. Hey, if I haven't seen it before, it's new it's to new me. To me. <laughs> you know, and, and they get to that with, you know, somebody did some study in, about flat earthers. And if I yep. offend anybody, well, I don't care. So get off the. No, we, we rip on them all the time on here. So <laughs> we really do. But what they came to find out with, with flat earthers, flat earthers, and it kind of expresses itself in other ways, that some people, if they don't experience it, they don't believe it's true. So it, it, whether if I can sit there and say, hey, the earth is wrong because I've flown over the North Pole at 200 feet. It's round because every direction is south. But unless they've done that, they're not going to believe it. And it's the same thing here. So I guess what I would advocate, back to our, uh, you know, one of the themes that I, you know, we talked about earlier, sitting on the shoulder of giants. We, I'm at the point right now where I want to, to build the bands together that we can stand on those shoulders. And what I've kind of considered is for the last five years and definitively the last nine months, I've had to crawl up the back even after working with these guys, crawl up their back to get just the ability to sit on their shoulders. And that's how hard it's going to be to stand on those shoulders because this stuff is hard. Well, that and that that's kind of goes back to what I was saying before, and that is a big problem. Greg brought up, you just brought up a great example with the flat earthers, you know, unless I've experienced it, it isn't real or all this stuff. And this is that's with any what has become known as conspiracy theory or something that becomes this emotional reaction. Everyone's all of a sudden, did you know this? And I'm going like, because that's what's going on. There's another one with this whole everyone's a pedophile. I don't know. Apparently there's this huge and I'm like, are you just becoming aware of crimes that are that have been happening in society for a very, 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 very long time? Because that's what it seems like to me. Well, a lot of them are and, societal crimes too, systematic. Well, you know, well, right. And, and, and so trying to convince millions of Catholic, well, I won't go there, but millions of people that have been systematically abused to trust systems nowadays is really hard. Yeah. It, yes. Oh no. And they, they're, they're afraid and they're, and they're, and they're yelling. 
you and you brought up kind of systems management and like there's not a lot of trust in our systems uh, um, because of that. And now all of a sudden there's this, and this also gets into information theory of I'm bombarded oh, so much. It's totally, it's totally information learning and decision theory every time. It's that old analogy. We don't do one billion transactions; we do a billion transactions one at a time. Right, and and that's a good way to look at it because I always, you know, what we always try to do, or I always try to tell listeners or people I know is like, look. Um, one, if you're having an emotional reaction about this, I, I, it's, it's odd to me when it doesn't pertain to you or you have no actual connection to it. Right. So like, you know, Greg will send me something like about another thing that happens in law enforcement and this, and I get it. Cause you know what? Greg worked really hard for a really long time as a police officer and seeing the change and seeing how things work. So, so I understand the emotional reaction. You know, when I see something happening with the military, this, I might get that, but, but I have a connection there. So there's that, there's that issue right there that I'm a little confused at, but we don't have to get into that. But, but the big thing is this kind of, uh, uh, that information overload of, of people don't realize how difficult and nuanced a lot of these problems are. And we oversimplify the problem, which means we oversimplify the solution, which means we oversimplify how we legislate that, how we decide, how we vote. And then, and so what am I supposed to do with all this information that I get? How am I supposed to know what is what and what's a good signal? Like, like the pure signal you talk about, that's what I want to get my information from. But how do I know if I have a pure signal? And, and these, are, these are difficult problems. I'm not expecting an, an answer out of either of you. I'm, I'm just kind of more, uh, more like venting on it. My, yeah, my, not so much, not so much an answer, you know, it's like, okay, we got, number one, are we asking the right questions, right? And, yes. and I think we are, you know, as a group, are we asking the right questions? And, and then number two, recognize, you know, what is, you know, in the, in the theory, in the field of information theory, what is the hard problem? Mm-hmm. Well, the hard problem is, right, it, it's like a, a general intelligence for a machine. Well, okay, Alan Turing, we know, you know, bad apple and everything else. It's, it's a shame that a man that, you know, literally saved the West from Germany with yeah. his work in information theory and developing Christopher. And it was what I find most interesting about that. If you take Christopher, the first computer, and now you take this today's chips on Silicon, they're the exact same structure. They're just now the size of, you know, half a Connecticut. If you exposed them out to Christopher as the machine. But I guess to my point is that, okay, what are the, what's the general hard problem? And, and again, I fall back on, we've got to, as a company and as an entrepreneur and as, you know, a theorist, we've got to in, clarify these signals. And those signals are much like in program management for modeling and simulation. We can do anything, but you can't do everything. If you want to solve the hard problem of, of detecting grand mal seizures on a human being, that's all you can do. Now, you may be able to aggregate those things later on, but, but it gets back to what we talked about earlier. It's a whole different ingestion. You know, when, when, when we talk about, you know, if I've got five or if I've got, let's just say I've got a hundred books that I'm really interested in that I think are hold the, the essence of my future and I'm 20 years old and I want to sit 12 hours with that and do an associative exploration of that. Well, yeah, you can do that with an you know, elastic search engine and some microservices, or you can change your ingestion method, your import capability. And that's kind of where I'm at, you know, because it isn't so much information overload, I think, that's happening with people. It's information confusion. It's confliction. Yeah. You know, the first word is always wrong, but is it? Sometimes the greatest insights are the first raw thing that you get. It's not everything, 
Right. But when put in the context of someone else's experience, and that semantic and that ontology starts to really matter when we start to talk about, let's take, for instance, something a lot of people are familiar with is the OODA loop. You know, you observe, you orient, you decide, and act. You know, and I, and I don't really, it's not that I don't support that as a Marine on the, on the ground or in certain contexts as an aviator, but it doesn't work at the operational level because we sense things. You know, whether that sense is from a human or whether it's from a, a database or whether it's from an unattended ground sensor, don't really care because it's a specific intent. And then we orient, you know, or to put it the other way, we import stuff and then we, we try to understand its importance. You know, and, and that to me is universal. Whether, whether you're a cop on the street, whether you're a Marine, whether you're a boardroom guy, there, there's a universal physics, I believe. That may be a counter. Yeah, no, it's a grand no, unifying theory. Brian, to tie in what you said. Unifying theory, yes. That, yeah. It really is. To tie in what you said, Brian, and a great point and dovetail on yours and tie in what Mike's saying for our viewers and listeners. When, when you take a look back when I was growing up and I'm older than both of you guys, back when I was growing up on Thursday night, there was a TV show. And at the beginning you had a choice. So you didn't know what it was going to be. Was it going to be Macmillan and wife or Cannon or McLeod? And uh, it showed a guy with a flashlight going through and there was a, a song playing in the background. It was yeah, yeah, a misty yeah. day and he was walking around with the flashlight. And at the end, you, you figured out what you were going to get. That's what search engines are like. There's so much information and there's not detailed information being onboarded. So you have this vast array array of signals. We're right back to it. And most of those signals end up being noise because they're not the specific thing you're looking for. It's well, not intuitive. So you have to create that, that ability to be intuitive. Isn't that right? Well, yeah. I, I, I mean, to me, when I, when I think about it, I call them analytic engines now just to have a simple building block, right? So let's just say that search, which is now past 22 years old, operating on metadata and its current construction, and it's got problems, right? I mean, search engine optimization, corruption, all of it, you know, but it's still amazingly a great capability. Second generation analytic engines is what I'm focused on right now. And, and what I'm looking at is, is the art and the science of an inquiry. You know, assuming yep. that a person has a knowledge and they're waiting on some type of trigger or an event or something to actualize that knowledge into what they're getting paid to do, which is make inquiries about things that are being made so they could gather an insight to make a decision. So that's where so I'm kind of at. So I, I, I believe I, that no, second I, order I, analytics, second order or second generation, uh, and I don't want to call it a search end because the human mind doesn't search for memories. It selects memories. So back to what Bush and others had said, you know, we, we have to change our import mechanisms in such a way that we can maintain the importance of that import without stripping it away and then reestablishing it. Human resiliency can only go so far, I guess, is my major point. Nor is that more true than the air traffic control system, by the way. And belief you can only take that resiliency so far. So, anyway. so Mike, Mike, I want to throw this in here just because it actually, you were just talking about it. So it's a perfect spot is that uh, one of our good friends of the program, uh, Brian Shea, who's a brilliant, brilliant guy, who's uh, been in the intelligence community for a long time and is just really, really smart guy. Um, you know, he kind of wanted almost a drag. He kind of brought this up and said, you know, can AI, an AI so system, you know, be trained to be more analytical by having skilled, trained analysts feed it data in the machine learning process, you know, find the threat tied to the classics, so what? And my immediate answer is he actually kind of said it, you know, is can an AI system be trained? Because that's what we call it rather than machine learning. You know, we call it like, hey, it's got to be machine training. Um, and you have to 
kind of be manage your expectations on what you want it to do. And the more focused it is, the easier it is to accomplish. Would that kind of make sense? Or, or what yeah, yeah, yeah. If I may, I'm going to flash back a little bit here. Let's go post nine or pre nine 11. The big problem was, was the FBI was in the business of proving things happened and the CIA was in the business of predicting things would happen. And no one was in the business of hunting, which incorporates that actual on the ground and prediction. So it's all of it. So I think that same approach to analytics matters. It, it can't be just broken up into segments. Same with the fire world, you know. Yeah, you want to educate. Yeah, you want to detect and you want to put them out. But those aren't separate. They, they shouldn't be driven by by the, the funding sources. And, and in certain ways, they become in competition with each other. So again, back to aggregating information in, 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 a, in a way that matters, you know, it, it takes that discipline. You know, at that level. So when I look at the intelligence world, for example, what do we need machines to do better? You know, if you look at it from just a classic sense, we collect information, then we assess it, and then we respond or we make a decision about it. Humans are great at analysis. So if we have spend less time collecting, which we spend way too much time even today doing, and we'd spend way too much time reporting, and if that's a you know bell curve and a, a graph, you look at it, you go, we want to flip it upside down. We want to do have machines right now, so you train them to, let's train them to be an inductive sensor for us to feed our observations in such a way that we can give them some autonomy to do that. But the analysis is what humans do. You know, DARPA did this work in 2006, 2007, 2008, where they said, hey, we want to take these dime. We want to take diplomacy, information, military and economic models and put them all together. And after you know a couple of years, they said, "Well, the only thing that can do that is the is the inches that live between the ears and the human mind." Well, okay. So let's always remember that human in the loop is going to be there for the foreseeable future as part of that education, training, and subsequent learning for machines. And I take a little bit of issue at times with machine learning before there's training because yeah, it's kind of whimsically saying, "Well, it's going to train itself." It's like, mm, no, it's not. No, you don't want anyone. It will, but not in a way that may be favorable that you can track yeah. or be transparent with. Well, and I, I I do simple terms. It's like I use the I always use the gym example. Like, what, what am I going to do a better? Where where am I going to get a better training program and workout? Is if I just go come up with something on my own that I think I need, or I go to an expert and say, "Hey, you tell me what I'm supposed to do." And that that's the concept there. I don't go ahead, Greg. I don't, no, no, you're right on, Brian. And yeah. and what you just did is made my point for me. L- listen, Mike, I take umbrage to when I hear people say "human in the loop." Uh, because I changed everything when we were uh, uh, designing supervised autonomy to be computer in the loop, because I want the computer to give me the cues and and set it out for me well left of bang that this is what's likely. And using your analogy for fire, using your analogy for health systems, using that same analogy for COVID, it all works. You think of the the uh, Will Smith uh, uh, movie, the iRobot, and I think the actor is James Cromwell, which is talking about asking the right questions. Listen, we could not get the designers of huge programs to understand that a person laying face down in the prone is more significant than a person standing and walking around or reading the newspaper. And then if we took just that simple face down prone position and we put that person in a geographically significant area and then added orientation towards a potential target, you've got the mother load of information that the supervised autonomy, the leader needs to know. But we're not at that stage yet because everybody's still fighting with bandwidth and frequency and, and, and they haven't solved the base problem that certain human factors 
lead one to a reasonable conclusion that this event is about to occur. I, Greg, I mean, Greg, that I, was I, a, what, you, what you just did Absolutely. though is, is you, that's a perfect example of providing context, right? So, you're so right. that, you know what I mean? Like, okay, a person laying down, right, you're a bot, you're a drone, whatever you want to call it, some autonomous asset or, or un, unmanned vehicle, and you're filming something or you're picking up on something you can see into an area. A guy laying on the ground means nothing. A guy laying on the ground um, in negative space where he can't be seen from anyone, uh, oriented toward a significant intersection where there's a you know U.S. convoy coming through. Well, all of that context, exactly. that's, that's what, what makes that observation significant, right? And, and that's the point of, of we're not there yet. We, we, humans can barely do that looking at the screen, let alone have, have an action. Well, that's what the operational layer has always been about, right? Is, yes. is, you know, because I look at it, you know, strategy is about the what and the why. Right. It is. It's the defining, the semantic, the ontology. And as we look at machines to do these things, it becomes really important to have this type of you know, discussion just simply. But, you know, it's the what and the why. The operational is about the when and the how. And then the tactical or the functional, in this case, for technology development, but the tactical in real world is the where and the who. You know, and you look at major efforts all over the government, you know, you know, for, for the FAA and NASA looking at, you know, what does what a, a, an unmanned traffic management system look at? It's like, well, OK, those are all great questions. And we've got plenty of great examples of what to build on if we're willing to be humble enough to yeah. recognize that there's three things, in my opinion, that always, always, always matter. So when I look at designing information aggregation service to clarify the signal and power the response, I mean it universally. But the. But the things that matter are always up front is safety, security, and access. Always. There, there, there's no getting around. You know, if you take the drone world, you say, well, we're going to do, we're going to do all this unmanned traffic management over the internet. I'm like, okay, access. How are they going to do that? Is everybody going to have to have a cell phone on the drone? You know, like, and then you've got all these seams and, you know, and then, because when you start talking about technical terms like remote ID and all these things, these same underlying principles always, always, always show up. And it fundamentally yeah. comes down to a very simple thing that you talked about earlier. And that's why the signal noise ratio thing is so important. False positives and false negatives, man. It's the only thing that matters. If like take your, your prone, you know, discussion and take it to another level, right? You're, you're a first responder and, and you have an ability through a, the house is a smart house and it, it's able to give you because it has a smart drone in it to tell you that a person that should be prone in this area and they're you know 82 years old is now laying on the ground and the position that we see them in says that they're in distress. And oh, by the way, they're wearing an Apple Watch. But if you take that same information and you don't have the context, you've got a bunch of signals, right? And then you end up with, and then if you put that with bad policy, you end up with things like Brianna Taylor and, and, and other things because there's aggregation of information that's just, because we, and it gets back to what you guys have talked about plenty of times. People, for the most part, we see what we want to see. And that yeah. was like yeah. one of the big problems. And that's what you can't have, like an ASW or time-critical targets or, you know, anti-terror. You, you can't, like I was an accident investigator and the number one rule, aviation accident, and the number one rule you learn is if you step into an accident scene, don't have any assumptions. Observe what the world is telling you. Have a methodology, have a rigor when you're done in that mode, but you've got to be able to see what the information at hand is telling you without that bias. And I guess what I would leave that with is there's a very fine line between confirmation bias and what are called um, selective priors. Yeah. yeah. Like I want my, my neurovascular surgeon to have a wealth of selective priors. Right. What I don't want him doing is operating on a 52-year-old man from last week when he's operating on me. 
Yep. Well, that's well, a fine it, line, right? It is. It is. It, it, it is. And it goes, Greg and I just did a conversation about this because that goes on both ends of the experience spectrum, right? You, you just talked experience. about a surgeon and, and yeah, can they have so much experience that instead of using those selective priors, like you said, from gathering from what they know, they're utilizing confirmation bias and make a mistake. Well, yeah, absolutely. Can someone with very little experience fall into that same thing because they have no selective priors in that particular area and now they, they have this confirmation bias? Yeah. I mean, so, so that's the issue. Well, I think it's the bigger problem earlier. I mean, yeah. again, I'll be a little, cause it's, you know, it's my group. Um, when you don't have a really sturdy set of selective priors and you want to answer big problems, <laughs> Some people tend to become insufferably arrogant along with their confirmation bias. Just keep yeah. building that narrative. So, one we don't want our machines to do that, is my point. Right. We do not. Yes. So one of, one of the simple things about the algorithm for, for uh, HBPRNA, for human behavior pattern recognition analysis, is it's not an oversimplification. Baseline plus anomaly equals decision. It's not. It's the most simple code that you can have. The product of training, in my estimation, Mike, is that we deliver decision theory, among others, uh, 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 facets and skills and, and knowledge that we uh, transmit. But it's up to the agency that hires us, the group, the company, the HR personnel, the factory, to become the decision strategist. They have to lay out these are three or less decisions that we'll ultimately have to make. And then the implementation is through their academies and their internal training and their T3 process. And we've lost that ability. We, we no longer have the skills passed on from a journeyman. We no longer have those skills for the experienced vet passing on. We codified it and said for cops, for example, we have the field training officer program that makes sure that all these checks are in the boxes and that'll never go away. But that doesn't build critical thinking skills. Uh, uh, that doesn't build the experiential level or, or uh, the person's ability to, to uh, create an explanatory storyline. We're not there. Well, right. I mean, my, my background, and, and I know, you know, Brian's and the death of yours, Greg, is coaching's everything. If we want a transformation in military training, then set the conditions and enable the coaches out there. And That's it. everything else to rest for a year. Go out right. there and see, because like the reality is like the air traffic control system. Most people don't recognize that 90% of the time when people are talking on the radios, it's a trainee because they have to train in real time, you know? So that, that reality that what you're doing in real time, but you're still training, same with flight school, right? Like people say, oh, you know, training's training, but it's like, no, you're still training an airplane, but there's a big thing there. There's an impact. If you mess it up, you and your instructor, you're going to be a smoking hole. And, and getting back to what we do with the fight is that what's, what, what you try to do with that inoculation. And so I guess if I would tie it together, what that pattern is, the pattern recognition, getting left to the, of the, the bang, as you used to talk about it, Greg, is just taking experience and, and taking rigor and balance and saying, this is the narrative that we're trying to master. We're trying to achieve. Exactly. You know, exactly. so much, much like a story, you know, when you look at a, at a great movie, you know, there, there's, there's like three sine waves, you know, and, and, you know, it's the character, it's the story of the plot line, and they, they kind of intersect at plot points. And at the end, they're together, right? And that, that experience, and that's the same thing we want with our technical services. You know, when, if we provide a tech, technical information aggregation service to a street cop, when he walks away from that experience, not only is he empowered now to share that with others, but he feels empowered to take the next step to make that information service maybe closer to autonomy, if that's the case, but make it serve us better. 
and that, that after action review, which is so inherent, you know, it, the machines have to be held to the same level. So it's not that we want them to do everything. We have to be very specific about what we want these technologies to do for us, never losing never losing focus on what the problem is and why it matters. So, so that kind of brings up or, you know, leads into <clears throat> you, you've talked about it a number of times. But what is that information aggregation service? What do you mean by that? What does that look like? Because, you know, uh, there's different types of examples of an information aggregation service. So like a Google search is one, right? I can get on Google. I look for cute videos of puppies or something like that. And it'll give me something there, right? Whatever it is I'm, I'm searching for. Yeah, that's for, what you know. you're searching for, man. <laughs> it's, well, clear I my would, search engine if I ever die. Clear my search This goes back engine. to if anyone wants really, really good information, go to right. Google Analytics and find out what people are Googling because it's about, I think the most honest a human will ever be is is what they're Googling because you'll you'll say anything on there that you won't say to another human being. But anyway, but that... But what do you mean by, I would rather to Mike. When, when I, like, when I, and, and I guess that's what, you know, 20 years ago, everything was metadata. The, yeah. the, the focus then was to how to automatically create metadata because metadata is still is predominantly the, 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 the primary map that creates the map and the signatures of what we navigate. What I'm advocating is for very specific use cases and hopefully generally overall is that we need different navigation maps. If I have a machine that can read 60 or 100, back to what we were talking about earlier, if I'm a 19-year-old kid and I'm trying to define my life and I say, and somebody says, here's 100 books and I've got a machine that can read them, that can listen to the uh, 1,000 podcasts or a million podcasts, and that you could sit down at a simple query. So let's roll back to, you know, back to the simple, you know, fire detector. I'm not interested in saying, you know, oh, I want to build, you know, this service that can do all hundred things better than a fire detector. I just wanted to do one thing better. You know, if it can alert and, and it can be, it can be, it, it triggers and says, I got a problem either going towards the house, like, Hey, there's a fire or there's this coming or this coming or out of the house, you know, with everything that happens with that, but that, but that, that trigger mechanism. So what I believe is most important is going back to context. You know, how do we import information sources? as clearly and as cleanly as we can while maintaining their context in a way that will provide people actionable insight. So when I think of a simple, let's just call it a selection engine, I call it an inquiry engine now, you sit down just like you would at Google and you type, you know, I'm from Buffalo, New York and I was born in 1960 and I love red roses. And now instead of getting a list of things, you're literally getting a representation of that that corpus of information that you're interested in because your machines now are literally working at the associative level. They're taking subject, verb, object, triplets, and they're creating them as, and everything is now treated as a discrete entity. So much like the human mind, now I can put in these stupid terms together, but I'm now going to get relevant things. And it could be Alice in Wonderland, you know, or something completely, but you go, Oh, and then you start discovering that. Now that's not for everybody. Right. But, I think it naturally gets at the way back to what we talk about, you know, data, information, knowledge, insight, right? And that pyramid is real. And there's some other pyramids that matter. The question becomes, what sits between those? Well, clearly there's one thing that sits between those and it's context. You know, if you want to understand data, understand its context. You know, somebody say 59 degrees. Okay, there's a data point. But if I'm sitting there in my room and I'm looking at 59 degrees and I'm standing in Monterey, California, it's not data, it's actionable information. Now I know what the mm-hmm. temperature is. I can go to other things and I can get weather review, all that stuff. 
And and I think that's the the important distinction right there, where it becomes actionable information, right? The the all the data and information in the world, because we we like you mentioned earlier, is we're constantly collecting and reporting down to everything, down to I can have a watch on me that tells me all kinds of different things about how I slept and this and my resting heart rate and what I need to do if I set goals there and all. And it's like, well, what 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 am I using that for? So, so what, you know, I always make the joke on here of the, this sleep study and different, this whole study I was part of, and they sent me the Fitbit watch and they tell you this and it's like, Oh yeah, you know, it showed this and it showed that you didn't have good sleep here. And I was like, yeah, I knew that I didn't have good sleep. I already knew that. Like that, that's, that's, that's not the issue. Like you're just describing something that I already knew you're just giving me a little bit more detail about it. And, and, and you're just, you're giving it like a, a number or a classification, yeah. but, but so what, that doesn't but help still, me sleep still, at it's night. Just a, I mean? It's a transaction, right? So if you take yeah. that sensor though, that watch, cause that's one thing I've been focused on just the last few days. Like if, if we want to predict a grand mal seizure, we can do that. Dogs can do it. Right. Now, what we need is multiple sensors and information aggregation service that unfortunately has a low profit model on the other end because it needs to be done at around $5 a month. Right. And when you look at the scale, it's like, and, and let's face it, you know, even after, you know, 1968, 1950, whatever, the, the biggest problem in the IT world is finding the business model afterwards, the tail. And that's what we're seeing now is we move CapEx into OpEx money, right? Capital expense into operational expense. It's like, there's no tail end anymore. So what do the professional services firms do now? Right. Well, and that's kind of what we, we, I think we're on the cusp of, and one of the things that I'm really interested in when I talk about building a band is, okay, what are these big problems? And let's say, you know, like a guy that I highly admire, Steve Lukasik, you know, who's one of my mentors, he literally VC funded the internet when he funded the ARPANET. And he was always really clear. Steve would say, you don't want to get more than four people in a room doing anything. <laughs> I agree with when that. You get the right four people, if you get an yeah. information theorist, you get a decision theorist, you know, you, you, you get a learning theorist because none of these things are science until they're applied right against a specific problem. And then you have a producer, you know, someone that gets the big picture and you're going after a very specific problem, you know, and let's say that specific problem is, you know, uh, COVID type awareness and buildings for this massive, uh, person that owns millions of hotels. I don't know, whatever. And then you put a team together and say, okay, what, you know, bringing in decision theorists like you guys, bringing information theorists so we understand the strategic, the tactical, and the operational, and we do it for three or four months, and we define the problem, and then you figure out a point where you can hand that over. But that upfront work is everything. Yes. What's really hard as an entrepreneur right now, you also have to have the back end because we can get exhausted as human beings if we don't automate our own services, which may be information-based too. Everybody talks about automating you know, machine services, well, you automate human services too. So I can be in, you know, I can represent 50 people. It's a core of capitalism, right? It's like, but my point is without that rigor and without that structure, it, it's really hard to get to that end state, I guess. Is. Yeah. Brian, do you have a, uh, I don't know if you don't have a title for the episode, but the one that's been batting around in my mind is Greg and Brian have really smart friends. <laughs> and then the, the subtext on that would be, and we're willing to use them. So, uh, Mike, I, I would love to be able to leverage your knowledge and the knowledge and skills and, and, and uh, 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 that Brian brings to bear and that our team brings to bear 
and go after some of these really hard problems. I love that. I mean, that's that's what people like us love to do. Yeah. Well, it's like putting a band together, man. It's not like it may be a new band because part of us, we're defining, you know, new genres of music here too. It's like, you know, if you can only do one problem, we'll do it well. Like back to your point about that sleep habits. When you're trying to predict a grand mal seizure, if you've got blood oxygen and you've got some type of indication from an EEG and then you have three days of sleep history, whoa, you're really yes. starting to get pretty left of that bang now, I right? And, and when I, I just want to make one point. When we talk about an analytic, it's really important to understand that predictive analytics do not stand on their own. Yes. No analytics stands on its own. And there's a repeatable, again, we're going to do it a billion times, but it's still one thing. You need a descriptive first. This body is experiencing this, and I can get that, and I can trust those signals. And then you have a diagnostic that says, okay, that body is doing this, now I'm diagnosing it. And then on top of those two, you build a predictive, you know, you build on your predictive in the hopes that the fourth mechanism or the fourth modular part of your mechanism is a, is a prescriptive that says, okay, I've sensed your body. I've done some diagnostics. I'm predicting you're going to have a seizure in five minutes. Now I suggest you go do this, some biofeedback, uh, energy distribution, or just yell at the top of your lungs, something. But every analytic requires that same discipline. I see so many times, like, and I'm like my, my favorite one to jump on is Watson. It's like, oh, Watson, Watson. It's like, Watson's object-oriented, and it's, 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 it's literally applying its knowledge into an object advice and entity and this new internet what i'm calling the 3d internet you know it, it requires an individuality that can't be compromised so if i would say it in 2010 we were in the age of you know possibly the cloud and by 2015 we we're in the age of possibly the platforms now we're in the age of systems engineering decision engineering learning engineering information engineering come together against every problem every time and we can't kick the can any further in my opinion and all we have to do is look around and see where our information aggregation services are failing us. And they really are failing us. Now, there's a host of reasons, right? It, it always comes down to hardware, software, and wetware. You know, the wetware is the human condition. Those right. things can't be compromised, and they have to be concerned and understood. So back to your point, Greg, really focused groups, small groups of teams to attack hard problems. I, I agree with that. And Brian, quickly. Uh, uh, I want our viewers and listeners to know the person that coined the term 3D internet is is the guy with the ponytail sitting there in front of the mirror with us right now. So he, uh, you know, he's one of the big thinkers, Brian. Actually, yeah, a lot no. of people have crafted the 3D, but it was done with VR and AR, and it was like yeah. we're gonna create well, this. Okay, give like, a give a real quick explanation of what you mean. What was the 1D? What's 2D? What's 3D? Well, the, the one I always think the 1D internet is was the telephone system. It's been around 100 years. The 2D internet was the, the World Wide Web, Term Berners-Lee saying, hey, and it was this two-dimensional internet. The three-dimensional internet is what we've been talking about. Yes, it's the telephone system and this ability to communicate in real time, which is really amazing if you think about it. It's quant Again, as I talked about earlier, it's quantum physics at its best when you're on the telephone. Right. You know, so it's the merging of those three things, you know, sure. and then being able to, to look at those three dimensions in a vertical expanse as well as the lateral one that says, Integrating the strategic, the operational, and the tactical, that's part of the three-dimensional aspect of it. And then the other part of it I see is, is, is being able to have a method that is capable of capturing all three levels at the same time. You know, back to the simple thing about, uh, about you know, capturing a seizure, you'll say that's a pretty tactical thing. Well, it's like, no, it's not really. It's all of them. 
You know what I mean? You've yeah, you got to have definitely. a human loop system that understands and is paying attention to other people that are having grand mal seizures. And that may go automated, but they're sharing that information in real time based on what they're seeing. And they may be monitoring that person, you know, you know, in a way that we can monitor a hundred signals now where we used to only monitor one. That makes no, I, and I think uh, uh, but that concept at of the 3D internet is just saying that, hey, it, it's all local now. Like the drone work, or the UAS work I'm doing is, I, I have a very simple thing, community-led innovation. If you don't have the community involved in the innovation, good luck, because they're the ones getting affected by these things. And if you don't consider the strengths, weaknesses, opportunity, threats from their perspective, you're going to fail. And I think that's also how a lot of this technological advancement has opened things up to look at these differently. You can look at it from a community approach. I mean, given look at look at even just how things are happening right now in the U.S. and how different it is across different cities and states and everywhere. And and the point of it is is that we're getting away from this. Hey, we need this centralized model, or this is how we're going to do things. To, to just what you said, that community led. Like I've got some successful business leaders here that can work with the city and the people in the community and this to go. Hey, we can find our own solution for this area. And now if someone wants to scale that either, like you said, horizontally or vertically, that's great. But, but these, 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 uh, I think the scale, the scale issue is that you're combining, we we talk about scale and we go lateral, but really you can't go lateral until you have that. Like for a city, there's a vertical structure there that can't be abstracted away. It it has to be connected and constructed from the beginning. Well, yeah, and then the point of it too is is taking that you know what works in Chicago isn't going to work in Portland, and that's not going to work in Miami. But but not 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 a template. Problem. Probably go. Hey, they did this here. Why don't we just apply that that solution over well, here? If you I can may, do it, you can do it prototypically, but you can't do it. You know, a, a template match, right? We we can. Well, the, the word template, I, w- I would say, let's go deeper than that. And and what we're really talking about here, in my opinion is the physics of information. Right. And that it, it, we, we can discern that is rather universal. I, I don't care what the signals are. Right. I mean, what's the physics of the information? And, and every time we have to, and it's really important because in my experience, the best information scientists I've known, the top three out of four that I've known were physicists. Yeah. Because they get to the core of the problem. It's like a great screenwriter, you know? You've got to get to the core of the problem. What's the story or this I'll I'll, I'll ask for your opinion, Mike, and yours, Greg, as well. What I always tell people is, you know, when, you know, we talk about human behavior and information theory, decision theory, and how these things work and how we interact. And I always tell people when they ask, hey, what book should I read or what should I study? I said, if you really want to understand human behavior, I would start with physics. Meaning, I think it's, and I'd love to get your guys' opinions, but physics to me is one of the most accurate and best descriptors, right? It's a great, great descriptive of, of how everything works. And then everything can layer on top of that. But, but meaning when you break it down to literally the level of physics, I don't have my thumb on the scale then, right? It's not being influenced by anything other than particles interacting with other with, with, with waves and particles, right? So if you can do it at that level, at least have an understanding, I, I think that's, I, I, would, I don't know what you guys would think about that, but that's kind of been my, what I've found. Uh, I uh, Brian, I think it's smart and I'll start because uh, mine's going to be brief. Uh, uh, I t- completely agree with you. And you know, I'm a pop culture kind of guy. So I'll go to the, the TV show, The Big Bang Theory. 
and uh, somebody was asking about something on a car, and he goes, are you asking, that Sheldon character says, are you asking about the internal combustion engine? I'm a physicist. I understand everything. And the great thing is that if your model, if your background is in physics, then you can build on the sociological, the psychological, the physiological, but you have to have an architecture. And I think physics lends us that architecture. Mike? I mean, yeah, architecture, 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 right? Um, when I, Again, it's, it's, it's the physics of information. It doesn't matter the use case. What we're trying to get at is the, the heart of the story, you know, the narrative, the, the experience. And then, you know, instead of, you know, it was really popular to say that we're connecting dots. Don't connect dots. Work with somebody that knows how to hunt dots. So you're seeing the dots in real time present themselves. Because if you're waiting to connect them, you're going to lose. That's just the reality of the West. What we're kind of doing in the fire world sometimes. We're just connecting dots. It's like, no, you got to get ahead of that dot. And, and part of that is having the humans in place that say, okay, I'm interested. I've got this billion-dollar problem, right? This company has a billion-dollar problem. There's a signal there. All right, well, how do I build the dots for your systems that so they can see that as we talk about going from a possible to a probable to a certain, right? That, that same thing has to happen as we're connecting, as we're collecting, and then making sense of the, these information sources as they present themselves. Because let's face it, you know, until something happens, it doesn't happen. And it's an approximation. And some things we just can't wait. You know, 80% is good enough sometimes. We may take a mitigation effort. Right. You know, if you have probable cause and we think we're at 60%, I'll set another sensor on it or I'll reappropriate something on it and go, well, now I'm at 90%. And narrative saying what it is, because Campbell and Jung told us, you know, the common story is a common story. Everybody wants to be the hero at the end. They, their means may be different than yours and their needs, but they want somebody to carry on that message. And I guess it's the same way here. That's where I'll kind of leave it is, you know, when, when someone is using a information service, again, it's, a, it's an experience. And in order to completely understand that experience every time, because these things have to be 99.9% good all the time, hence back to why we only go one step past a, a fire detector, because it just gets too hard right now. We've got to crawl, walk, run, just like we do in training, you know, and, and just to summarize it all up, I, I do not believe that metadata is the proper mechanism for moving forward. I'm interested in, in creating a, a set of meta context as a new way of navigating. If we can treat, teach machines to read and compile, let's just Treat, teach them to treat and compile different mechanisms of mapping. This is no different than exploration we've been doing for, you know, I mean, you know, if Einstein would have said, well, I'm not going to do anything because, you know, what's his face did it with the apple, you know, well, we're not doing that. So again, you know, after crawling up the backs of giants, which I know you guys have too, as we're sitting here, what I know, like back to, to a screenplay, you don't get 20 people in there to write a script. No, most you'll get is a couple, three, four, because it's a tough problem. But but they're still serving an architecture up. I mean, that's what a, a screenplay is, for example. It's an architecture that other people can, can build on. And I guess that's what I'm advocating here. What is the architecture of the operational layer that ties together the strategic and the tactical in a, in a, in a way that is verified, val validated, and accredited to provide accurate aggregated information sources in a timely manner? And I, my bottom line is I think we need to start over again to a certain degree in the best way. And, you know, there's an over the top revolution happening. You know, you asked earlier about what the first D, 3D, 1D, 2D, 3D internet was, it, the telephone system, the World Wide web, and now this, and it's going to be different. And we need to, because when I look at the world right now, our country, I would say it in very simple and I'll be done. 
overwhelming capacity and underwhelming capability. We have all the capacity we need to build any number of services and our capabilities are, I believe, in many aspects, worse than they were 20 years ago. No, I, I, that's actually, that's actually a really good spot to kind of, kind of wrap on for this discussion. Um, the idea of, of, you know, overwhelming, you know, capacity, underwhelming capability. I, I think that that really drives the point home. Um, that wraps literally a lot of the points that we brought up in terms of, of defining a problem and then defining what the solution is and how we start with it. And, and I think the, the, you know, the, the physics of it all, you know, is, is amazing. Um, we talked on a whole bunch of different topics, Mike and, and Greg has brought up some stuff and I, I would love to, you know, maybe deep dive some of these, maybe one at a time, we, we stick to something and do kind of like a separate type series. I think will be fun to do some episodes of each one of those and get into great detail about specifically what you mean. And that way you can define it, how you define it. Greg will define it. I'll, I'll go, Hey, what does that mean? My big thing is always with anything, and especially with information theory is what does that mean for the person who who is gets their information scrolling through a feed on Facebook because that's a dangerous place and it's it's not good most of what I've seen on there it's really not but but it's a, it he, he says be. while we're on Facebook but, live but but, but <laughs> right of course but but it can be is the thing is my point is it doesn't have to be that way it's it's I'm I'm looking at it as I'm eternally optimistic because otherwise what the fuck is this all for if, if it's not for a greater cause or we're going to do better or things are going to get better than then fuck it why are we having these difficult conversations why try to solve a hard problem if it can't be solved and that's my thing with all of these issues that we face is they are solvable all right we got to get rid of the the hay as you say right get rid of that hay to get to that needle what's an accurate sensor what do we need to pay attention to what should we stop paying attention to what do we concern ourselves with and that's everything we discussed in different areas on this. So Mike, I appreciate you coming on and, and it was an awesome conversation. We got some great feedback here and I, I just, I would love to go in deeper on all these topics if you guys want to. Oh, I would love it. Yeah, right. Brian, I, th I think you're onto something. I, I, I've <clears throat> devoted my life to, to giving people the confidence and competence to make the right decision at the right time for the right reason. And I think this is a great step into a new direction that, that we definitely have to drill down into. So I'm ready. Mike, I know you're ready. Yeah. If I could say one thing, only because he's so underrecognized, George Bull, who all of this is dependent on, set out to prove God, not as an entity, but as a force. That's what all of his logic and math is predicated on. And he proved it because he said God is real, not as an entity, whatever, mechanism, whatever. But he says God was real because suffering was real. And if you look at all of the work that's been done, and I'm talking the mathematical work, our whole, our whole electrical system, our computer grid is predicated on the simple concept that a very pious, brilliant man decided to prove God, and he proved it because suffering was real. And then all the logic that came from that is what defines everything that we do. So I think what, the point that you made earlier is when we look at this overwhelming capacity and this underwhelming capability what is the biggest, what are the set of needs that need to be prioritized and why do they matter? Because we can do anything back to the MS world, but we can't do everything. Right. But right now it's like, okay, we want to do everything, but we're really not doing what we need to do. In my opinion, we can look around. Right. And, and again, clarify the signals and power the response, but yeah, I would love it. And, you know, at some point, hopefully, you know, we can 
start bringing other members of the band in and saying, okay, here's a systems engineering expert. Here's a learning theory expert. Here's some encounter to their decision theory experts and say, what would this band look like and what would it start doing? And, and how would we go about, you know, approaching these big problems? Because we can talk about it all day long, but when we have the methods and the models and the mechanisms and the metric in place to do this through a method, then we can start putting bands together. And, you know, much like Barry Gordy did with Motown, man. Yeah. He said, here's the source product. I fixed it. And then he created brilliance and magic. And Just I think, not jazz. Yeah. I don't trust jazz. Mike. No. I don't well, trust yeah. That's, I no, one likes, no, no, no one likes jazz. They just pretend to like it. It's just noise. So, <laughs> I'm well, meeting with a guy tomorrow who absolutely loves jazz. He's a brilliant jazz musician. So I can't say yeah. that to him. Well, I can't play it, but <laughs> I can certainly talk crap about it. No, That's I. Uh, I got old joke about the conductor. Who's the least talented guy in the band or in the orchestra? Well, it's, it's not the guy with two strings. It's the guy with one string. All right, one. Uh, yeah, well, that's true, right. We got the orchestra. Yeah, and no, that's a great point. And but but guess what? You you that 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 guy or girl needs to be there. So you you need one. Well, they they so, hear everything. They yep, hear. That's the point. Yeah. They gotta hear it all. Um. Again, it Mike, takes a, it takes a rare mind, which you guys have, to to see the obvious. It does. I, I've been told rare mind before, and it was not a positive comment uh, towards me. Yeah, I'll agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I appreciate you guys uh, uh, coming on. I, I think that's a good spot to, to wrap on. And I always end it with to everyone. Don't forget that uh, training changes behavior. Thanks for tuning in, folks. If you would like some more information about what we talked about today, you can head to the Left of Greg Patreon site where we've added some more information about what we discussed, as well as some examples of how you can practically apply some of the lessons learned. Please remember to tell your friends about the show and follow us on Facebook at HBPRA. Thanks again and be safe.